Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the latest in Natural Gas World's Canadian Gas Dialogues Pandemic Edition webinar series. Today, we'll be discussing uh, all things methane, uh, and that is largely in mitigation, in innovation, and in, um, I guess that's that's the, the brunt of it. Heading our discussion this morning is Jackson Hegland. He is the Executive Director of the Methane Emissions Leadership Alliance in Alberta. He's joined by Mel Idrios from Energy Vantage in Toronto. Gerald Palanca is with the Alberta Energy Regulator here in Calgary. Larry Frederick is a, poly, or a techn technical advisor at, with the Petroleum Technology Alliance of Canada. And Wayne Hillier is a consultant with uh, Modern Advisory. Uh, with that, I will turn things over to Jackson. He'll be running the discussion today. Please make note that the chat feature has been disabled for this webinar. You may ask questions through the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. With that, I'll step back and turn it over to you, Jackson. Great, thanks a lot, Dale. Um, hi, everybody. It's, uh, it, it's great that you're all here today. And as Dale mentioned, we're here to talk about methane. We'll talk about several different components uh, of methane, mitigation, measurement, and any other activities related to it from regulatory design uh, domestically, globally. Uh, it's, it's a good opportunity here, I think, with this uh, group of panelists to really address the innovation component around a solutions-oriented approach to methane mitigation. I think that's the critical point here it is it, it, we're all in this system at the point where we want to get the solutions oriented approach right and there's multiple ways to go about that whether you your government or the regulator whether your industry whether you are an industry association service provider everyone has a responsibility in this space and everyone more importantly has an opportunity and that's uh, primarily that opportunity is through innovation in thinking and approaches to uh, to methane mitigation. It's a it, we're very very fortunate uh, to be in this space and have this opportunity right now, and to have so many bright minds in the space of methane. So <clears throat> with with that in mind, we have a group of panelists here today that are able to address each of these components. Uh, to the extent that they can, of course, within their 10 minutes. Um, I think each of these individuals could easily have their own hour. Um, and, you know, we will take a look at what's happening globally on, on the methane scale. Then we'll look domestically here in Canada and Alberta specifically about what's happening uh, in, in, in the space with the oil and gas industry on methane. We will talk about the importance of collaboration bringing multiple groups of stakeholders together and we'll talk about some of the emerging technologies in in this space that look very promising for early and uh, often detection of methane emissions and and the mitigation opportunities that follow from it so each of our panelists will have about 10 minutes to walk through uh, their specific components and and i essentially just listed those in order uh, for those of you taking notes but um We'll do a Q&A at the end, 
about 10 or 15 minutes for everybody. If you do have a question, please feel free to ask it through the portal and we will try to address them as they come in. And um, without really any further ado, uh, Mel, we would love to hear from you on some of the things you've been working on uh, over the, the years, but as well, obviously more recently. And you know, what is the landscape on methane uh, globally and what, what's the direction that things are heading uh, based on the work you've been doing? Great. Thanks. Thanks very much, uh, Jackson, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you about methane emission developments outside of uh, North America. And I will try and keep my remarks brief to allow an opportunity for discussion at the end of uh, the presentations. But I thought I would start with a, a bit of a story going all the way back to April 2016, when the International Gas Union held an executive committee meeting of all places in Durban, South Africa. At that meeting, I tabled the issue of methane emissions and recommended that the global gas industry needed to get ahead of the issue, which surely was going to go global. I was surprised that at the end of my presentation, basically no one reacted, and I got what to me looked like some puzzled looks. And that's when I quickly realized that I made an error in assuming that the industry outside of North America was paying much attention to the issue and as such quickly suggested that by the fall council meeting that I would produce a report that laid out the issue in some detail and present a set of recommendations for endorsement. And fortunately, that was quickly accepted. Well, between April and the council meeting that year, the issue did start to make its way around the world, and particularly in Europe. The Environmental Defense Fund, or EDF, sponsored the Economist Energy Summit in London, UK, and presented their case on the issue. They also sponsored the opening breakfast of Gas Week at the EU Parliament in Strasbourg. I would have to say that at that stage, the industry was ill-prepared to really engage on the issue and appeared, at least to me, very defensive. Well, fast forward, I tabled the report at the council meeting and the key recommendation was to establish a special task force called the Group of Global Methane Experts. The recommendation and the mandate of the group was accepted and we set forward to launch the task force. But just to be clear, the mandate of the task force was not to launch some sort of new technical work. Certainly enough of that was going on, but rather to attempt to align the way the global industry responded to and engaged on the methane emissions issue. As far as I'm concerned, one of the most notable deliverables of the group was when we convinced the International Energy Agency, or as we know, IA, to hold a small workshop on methane in the lead up to the write up of the methane emissions chapter in the World Energy Outlook 2018. And frankly, that workshop was fundamental to what I believe led to a very balanced view of the issue by the IA. By the way, the workshop was attended by EDF, 
a couple of other NGOs and two regulators, both who actually happen to be from Canada, one federal and one provincial. Following that, the IGU quickly issued two more reports, one commenting on the proper use of global warming potential 20 versus 100, and a report on leading practices in their measurement and reduction of methane emissions. Both of those reports are on the website. Now enough with the history. Now let me fast forward to where we are today. And we have to start in Europe. The European Commission for the last couple of years has been working on methane regulations, something that is still in progress, even though the targeted release date was to be mid 2020. In the European Green Deal communication document, it states that, and I quote, addressing methane emissions from the energy sector is the largest opportunity to limit global warming from a single sector. Specifically to the regulations of the EU, they state the following. In order to enhance transparency on the total emissions related to fossil fuels consumed in the EU, the Commission will task the International Methane Emissions Mechanism to compile and publish a methane supply index and at the EU and at the international level. Initially, the index can be compiled and published using existing and reported data in country emission inventories as submitted in the UNFCCC. It will rely on global data from International Methane Emissions Mechanism, empowering buyers to make informed choices when purchasing fuels. Participation in measurement program, either within Oil and Gas Methane Partnership, or OGMP, or according to other techniques equivalent to the OGMP will be further encouraged. The European Commission will propose to use a default venue value within the EU for natural gas volumes that have no adequate monitoring, reporting, and verification systems in place. This will be designed to encourage accurate measurement, reporting, and verification. Now, in response to this, the UN Environment has recently launched OGMP2 with the aim of advancing the methane issue to countries that have so far showed little interest. They're also advancing a consistent methodology on how to measure and report methane emissions data throughout the value chain. So suffice to say, the focus on this issue in Europe is fairly intense at the moment. And now let me go back to November 2017, where eight IOCs and three supporting organizations, one of them being the IGU, signed on to the methane guiding principles as an international, voluntary, multi-stakeholder partnership. And since then, there have been a steady increase in the number of signatories and supporting organizations, including a number of NGOs. There are now 22 signatories and 16 supporting organizations. TC Energy, by the way, is a recent signatory to, to the coalition. The IG has attended all of the annual meetings where the annual voluntary work plan is developed and have monitored all of the developments from this partnership. There have been a number of very key deliverables from the partnership, including the development of a methane regulatory framework, a best practices toolkit, and two training programs, an executive 
in a masterclass program. And just recently, both of these programs are now available online uh, at what I deem a, a relatively small fee. The executive program is a half-day executive and senior management program, whereas the masterclass targets those who are direct, directly managing methane emissions and is a seven-hour training session. Now, the other major work that was supported through the partnership is the work on the IA's methane tracker. The most recent addition being the 2020 tracker, which is available on the IA website. This 2020 update to the IA's methane tracker includes detailed estimates for 2019 that incorporates new data from oil and gas supply, as well as the latest evidence from the scientific literature and measurement campaigns. And that is where you can find the marginal abatement cost curve for oil and gas related methane emissions globally and at a country level, some 70 countries. Although there are issues with the manner in which the abatement curves are calculated, it does provide guidance on the prioritization of emission reduction opportunities. The IA encourages the industry to provide the latest data so that the curves can be further improved. I wanna conclude by simply saying that the focus on this issue is intensifying. But frankly, as we say at the IGU, this is an opportunity for the global gas industry and not a challenge. And I believe that it is also a great opportunity for the Canadian gas industry to step up and take a leading industry role on this issue based on what's been happening here. Thank you very much. I look forward to the other presentations and questions. That's great. Uh, thanks a lot, Mel. And, and uh, you really nailed the transition there in indicating that you're looking for, uh, you know, the opportunity that Canada and, and in this case, Alberta uh, is presented to them on, on the leadership scale. So uh, you made my job much easier. Thank you. And with that, uh, Gerald, off to you, please. Can you hear me? Great, thank you very much. Um, before I begin, I just want to recognize that it has been an incredible amount of work to get to where we are today. And we have a long journey and more work before we get to our 45% reduction target. And speaking about what's happening within the Alberta context, I first wanna talk a little bit about uh, what's currently publicly available and what's, what will be available to indicate our, our broader performance and our methane reductions. Uh, to date, the AER has published uh, ST60B, which is our report on, on gas conservation and flaring and venting. Um, I just want to give you a bit of history here. Back in 1992, uh, we, or sorry, 1996, we achieved a 92% gas conservation rate. Uh, over time, and no, despite current economic conditions, issues with competitiveness, pipeline access, all the reasons why investment has sort of deterred away from Alberta, we still managed to improve our overall solution gas conservation rate. Uh, it's, in 2019, we're at 97.7% gas conservation rate. So that is, that is a good news story. In 2015, the World Bank Group 
presented the AER with an excellence award in recognition of our leadership and contribution to the Global Gas Flaring Reduction uh, Partnership. Backed by policy and regulations, the AER has requirements uh, to conserve solution gas based on an economic test. Uh, we have stringent reporting, notification requirements, flaring limits and approvals. Now the key message here is that it was it took a long time to get to that state, to the state where we can be proud of and be recognized globally. And I believe part of the main reason, not only with the regulation is it, it was backed by strong compliance assurance measures, enforcement through our inspections and audits. So why, why did I talk about gas conservation and solution gas flaring? Well, if you take that to the methane context, uh, we were starting at the very beginning of that journey. Up until now, the AER required partial reporting of methane, um, only, only reported venting, which is only about 20% of the picture. The National Inventory Report in, in Canada, uh, which is what reports out our, our methane performance globally, was, was based on estimates. Uh, as of this year, uh, through the government of Alberta's policy, we now have new measurement, monitoring, and reporting requirements. So back then, based on the estimates, based on what we knew, we had a challenge of designing the requirements. We had to base it on modeling, engineering studies and reports, and we did so in a multi-stakeholder manner, collaborating with industry, NGOs, uh, innovation think tanks. And that's where we got, that's how we, that's how we developed the requirements. And from now on, year after year, what we're going to see is that data start trickling and it's going to tell a story. This year, we're going to see a massive change in what has been, is being made publicly available. As of January this year, uh, we changed the definitions of how venting is reported through Petronex. And I'll just share some preliminary numbers for you. In June of 2019, roughly 48,000 facilities reported venting, and that's roughly 80 million cubic meters uh, over that six-month period. This year, we've seen a change uh, in from June 2020, an increase to 146,000 reported facilities, and, in, and an increase uh, vent, reported venting to 146 million cubic meters. That's a 184% increase. On the surface, it looks like we have increased our venting and that the methane uh, picture is, is not good in Alberta. But actually, it's not, that's not true. That is not a true statement whatsoever. Uh, we just have better, more accurate reporting as a result of the regulatory changes. And this does not, not tell the proper story. If anyone were to ask the AER or the government today, how are we doing? Where are we in terms of our 45% reduction target? Nobody can tell you. Nobody can tell you, and if they tell you, it's it's false. The reason being is because our 45% reduction target is based on a 2014 baseline year. So there is a lot of work that has to be done to backcast what we think the 2014 baseline year was. Next month, the AER is going to publish uh, ST60B report, and that is for 2019. It's important to note that it is that is before the changes 
and our definitions came into effect. So it's not going to tell the whole story. It's going to be a snapshot of the past before we made the regulatory changes. We are not in a position to publish this year's one-stop data. That is the more granular reporting, breaking it down by source. The reason being is the AERS do a lot of work around data validation, compliance assurance on methane monitoring and reporting. And as a result, this year, the AER is going to have a heightened focus on measurement, monitoring, reporting, uh, compliance assurance through our audits and inspections, uh, as well as future emission management. So it's gonna take a while to tell the story in terms of where we are today and where we were in the past. And we're gonna be working very closely with both provincial and federal governments to tell that story. Regulations and compliance assurance in itself is extremely challenging. It is a, especially in these economic times, it's extremely difficult to comply with the requirements to meet those overall objectives. But thankfully, uh, on September 24th, we got a little help from government with some major funding announcements to help create jobs as well as help us meet our overall methane reduction targets. For those of you that are not aware, I encourage you to go to the Government of Alberta's website on the methane page. Um, there's going to be announcements on September 24th announcing uh, $25 million towards a methane technology implementation fund, $17 million towards fugitive emission management program, and $10 million towards the baseline opportunity reduction assessment. Just narrowing down to the, the baseline opportunity uh, reduction opportunity assessment, BROA, which is, is the acronym for that, that program is really helping us on the measurement and monitoring side because it helps company operators uh, collect their inventories, quantify emissions, establish uh, compliance plans, as well as um, connecting those reduction opportunities with other government programs like offsets and, um, uh, and other, other government funding to support uh, industry and, and meeting those reduction objectives. I know today, Jackson, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, innovation and my key messages here is that you can only manage what you measure. And so measurement is key in order to identify those opportunities and, and where to innovate. I think I'm out of time, so I'm, I'm actually gonna stop there and uh, we'll transition over, I think, to Larry. Thanks, Gerald. Um, really appreciate the commentary about some of the other things obviously happening in Alberta outside of, of directly with, with the AER. We can address some of that more uh, at the end when, when we do the Q&A. Um, Larry, uh, on to you now. I think Gerald touched on it in his session, the importance of the group collaboration uh, for the AER in, in developing and designing their methane regulations here. I think um, haven't been a part of that process. It was uh, it was really you could see how critical it was to have the varying views of, of individuals to help inform that uh, that dialogue and to help uh, build the construct for for the regulations. I think with PTAC, Larry, it's um, you know it, it's uh, it, it's an integral part of your organization, and you'll be able to talk about some of the initiatives I believe that you have ongoing, where collaboration is is a critical part. To that and and um, how you guys have, have looked at uh, your mechanisms to support the methane mitigation uh, value chain right now. Yeah, thank you, Jackson. You're you're right. Everything that PTAC does is through collaborations. 
good morning and thank you. I'm providing some comments this morning on behalf of Dr. Sohel Askapur. He's the president of PTAC and was originally scheduled to provide some provide this discussion this morning. He extends his greetings, but is unable to attend the webinar today, and he apologizes for that. As Jackson said, I'm Larry Frederick, and I'm assisting Sohel, Mark Godin, Tana Such, and the rest of the PTAC organization with delivering a comprehensive suite of initiatives that is helping the industry meet their goals and the goals set out by the government for methane emission reductions. And I hope that this presentation will provide you with a better understanding of how all the methane-related programs fit together within PTAC. Can I have the next slide, please? So we've articulated the challenges. I think you skipped one. Um, we've articulated the challenges and the goals for reducing methane emissions by defining two prongs. Firstly, as, uh, as we heard, we need reliable, inexpensive detection devices to determine the size of the problem. And then we'll also be able to measure how effective we are at reducing those emissions with those devices. The cost of the various sensors and their ease of use is necessary to widely deploy these technologies. Their measurements are also becoming the basis for receiving carbon credits for installing the various mitigation technologies. And these carbon credits are an integral part of the economics of reducing methane emissions. Second, we are on track to have mitigation technologies available to meet the goal of reducing methane emissions by 40 to 45% below 2012 levels by 2025. And we intend to do this at a cost less than $5 per tonne of CO2 equivalent, so that the technologies are economic to deploy. Our further promise is to continue this march until we have technologies available to reduce the emissions to less than 90% of our 2012 or 2014 emission levels by 2030. And how is PTAC doing this? Next slide, please. PTAC is led by Sohel and the board of directors, along with input from many people and organizations in the industry and the regulators and our funders is running a multitude of programs to attack this challenge from every angle. These initiatives are given life through CRIN and MERN. MERN is the Methane Emission Reduction Network. And you can think of it as the meeting place where people come to interact and determine a strategy for launching innovative projects to reduce emissions. A full complement of initiatives can be found here for methane detection and mitigation technologies plus the important market uptake initiative. We believe that the market, who is the producers who will buy and install the equipment, must dictate what is developed in order for the ecosystem to function properly. If the industry will not support the technology through purchasing and deploying it, there's no value in, deploy in developing it. That is why PTAC spends a lot of effort on determining your needs so that we can broadcast those needs and research for solutions. We're also helping Global Affairs Canada to create a directory that can be used by trade commissioners around the world to help the technology providers have a larger market for their products. Canadians can be proud of the work that they are doing to reduce methane emissions. We're also helping Alberta Environment and Parks to compile a listing of all the research that is underway on methane emission technologies. This listing will be used by various funding organizations and researchers to help these researchers collaborate more fully. Increasing collaboration will lead to more conversations 
and faster development and testing of more ideas to solve this methane emission challenge. For next year, we're adding more innovations, building capacity for making use of software to help in the analysis of the large data sets being generated in this space. We're working on creating a validation program to validate technologies that less time is required by producers in understanding and deploying them. And we're creating additional meeting opportunities through developing and hosting conferences for your needs. Now for some more specific information on the emission work that we're involved in. Uh, next slide, please. So these are the, uh, the early TRL levels. PTAC is enabling technology development right from inception to deployment. The earlier stage technologies are developed with an OPERF, which is the Alberta Upstream Petroleum Research Fund, and the Air, Plan, Air Research Planning Commission, Air Research Planning Committee, which is abbreviated as ARPC. The ARPC committee is comprised of many producers and the regulator to enable the committee to develop a science-based path commerciality for techniques or technologies. OPERF was funded solely by producers for over 20 years, and PTAC has been able to attract a lot of external funding to this research fund, providing extreme leverage to the industry. Over this period, the producers provided 25 million of the $160 million cost of the program. This year, TIER stepped in to help with funding when the AAR in funding invoices were delayed due to COVID. Two recent field studies conducted by the ARPC are worth highlighting. You've likely heard of AMFC, since many, many companies were involved in the two Alberta methane field challenges last year. The ARPC program created the vision and implemented this program. It allowed a multitude of detection companies to try out their devices and determine how they compared to their peers by coordinating sensing activities with many producers in their facilities. You've likely also heard of FMPA, the Fugitive Emissions Management Program Effectiveness Assessment. This is the world's first of its kind methane leak detection, quantification, and repair research project, which was launched in Alberta by PTAC's ARPC committee. This program was run for several seasons to determine whether having emission data more frequently would reduce emissions. The ARPC committee is highly focused on methane emissions, but they also run programs on BTEX and NOx and other volatiles. Methane emissions are also investigated by another one of PTAC's OPERF groups, the Well Abandonment Research Initiative, where we conducts scientific studies on various topics concerning wellbore abandonments, including alternative cement products to reduce the likelihood of having to repeat abandonment operations and shut off methane vent flows more positively. As you'll note, this slide includes programs that are in their earlier development stages. Next slide, please. As the technologies are developed, they enter CanERIC, which is the Canadian Mission Reductions Innovation Consortium, which has members from 15 producers and midstreamers. This large collaboration is in itself an innovation that may be integrated into research initiatives in other fields now. These production companies have set the focus and as venture capitalists refer to it, they've created the market pull for technologies to be developed. The focus is currently on reducing emissions from tank vents, pneumatics, and surface casing vents. PTAC also has three programs. Oh, there's a bunch of researchers involved in that as well from coast to coast. P 
PTAC also has three programs for determining longer term economics of these technologies. IM3S is an analytics platform that Chris Huchenholz from UCalgary is the lead researcher on. STV is a systematic third party validation where companies are installing these devices and we're looking at the long term reliability and operating costs for those technologies. The Methane Consortium project was created with Energy Efficiency Alberta last year and is to field test novel, test novel methane abatement technologies, including chemical injection pumps, engine modifications, and instrument air compressors. Next slide, please. In the collaborative model, PTAX producers work with technology developers and provide the opportunities for the vendors to test their equipment in the lab and in the field. These designs are improved and made ready for the market. New technologies can enter the process at any time. Next slide, please. PTAC is truly a national organization and we have input from across the country. If you are involved in methane emission work in the country, next slide, please. You should become a member and realize the benefits that come from a unified vision and the collaborations that are already running with more to come. If you'd like more information on any of these programs, please give any of the people at PTAC a call. Thanks, Jackson. Great, that was uh, very good, Larry. Thanks a lot. I think um, as everyone's scrambling to take notes here, as the as as we're going through this, um, there's a lot of acronyms in there. Maybe uh, Larry, when PTAC gets a chance, you could do a report on all the acronyms in in the methane uh, sector. But um, that's for another that's for another day, perhaps. Um, next up, uh, Wayne Hillier. And Wayne has done a lot of that work that uh, Larry has addressed um, in some of the initiatives there that, that PTAC has put forward over the recent time. And most notably, uh, Wayne has a lot of experience and exposure around alternative leak detection technologies and uh, some of the ongoing work that's happening in the province right now. Uh, he brings a significant expertise from uh, his years in the industry and his passion on on methane so uh with that wayne please take it away and we'll address hopefully uh not a lot of acronyms in your talk but we'll see how that goes uh, well thanks jack jackson as a warning if i have to um spell out all the acronyms then i think my presentation is going to double in length uh, kidding of course thank you for that introduction and uh mel gerald um Larry, thank you for your, your quality presentations. It does make my job easier. I'll, I'll try to pull some threads out of everybody's presentation and, and put a bow on this, so to speak. I'm really involved in three areas um, of, of methane now, not so much the regulatory side. Uh, Gerald and his team have that handled nicely, but it's really around the, uh, the, uh, the technologies and practices for detection quantification and control, and I'll come back to quantification in, in some detail. We tend to talk about detection and control. Quantification is a very important aspect of it, and and this work is um, is uh, being led by a number of people, including PTAC, uh, with the ultimate goal of meeting the existing uh, methane regulations in the most cost-effective way. I used to represent industry at the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, and it was very common then to say, and it's still true today, 
that industry is committed to meeting the regulatory requirements, uh, supports the reduction target of 45%, supports the timing of 2025. It's the most cost-effective way that we continue to work on to find those solutions to detection, quantification, and control to meet those regulatory requirements. Um, I, I was happy Mel went back to April of uh, 2016 to talk about some of the international discussions, and and, and Gerald went back to the um, to the uh, solution gas conservation and the success we've uh, had in the province. I'll go back to 2006 to really set the stage for the methane initiatives today. So, uh, uh, as a proud Albertan, I'm always always like to point out that Alberta was the first jurisdiction in North America to establish a GHG reporting requirement by regulation. It was also the first jurisdiction in North America to set a price on carbon, to uh, have a reduction target, and to develop um, a carbon trading system. So Alberta, since the um, uh, 15 years ago, has really demonstrated leadership in, in GHG regulation and, and technology advancement. Uh, the federal government uh, and the provinces have, have followed suit in Canada for sure. And uh, we like to think that here in Alberta, we are continuing to demonstrate leadership uh, through advancing technologies to meet the regulatory requirements. And you can uh, the, the provincial support for that leadership is clear in the $52 million that was announced September 24th uh, that Gerald alluded to. So back to detection, uh, quantification, and control. This, even though we've been at uh, greenhouse gas emission reporting and control for 15 years, methane has a unique um, challenge, uh, to say the least. It's an invisible gas. I think we all know this, and it's and it's odorless for the most part in its pure state. Uh, so it's very hard for us to see it or smell it. Uh, there are over 30 thousand facilities in Alberta that are captured by the existing provincial regulation that requires uh, the detection quantification of, of methane and 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 each of these facilities um, will have some methane releases either fugitives the unintentional release of methane or venting which is really a an engineering design of a, of a piece of equipment be it uh, uh, instrumentation or controllers, be it compressors that that uh, compress the, the produced gas into um, uh, for gas uh, gas gathering or, or gas processing, and even tanks. Tanks, of course, can vent. Uh, properly designed tanks can vent very little, in fact, but poorly designed or undersized tanks can vent quite a bit. So it's really important to understand the challenges here, that there could be hundreds of thousands of discrete uh, release points in Alberta. Uh, most of them are small, uh, a few are large. The trick is to develop the technologies and the processes and practices to identify the largest releases quickly and resolve them. Focus your efforts on the most cost-effective solutions. So uh, in talking about detection um, a little bit, 
15 years ago, there was technology that came, frankly, out of the U.S. military that allowed the visualization for the first time of methane gas using infrared light or a camera tuned to infrared light. So these are costly cameras, uh, handheld, uh, and we can inspect 30,000 facilities looking for these smallest releases. Uh, we are looking at improved or innovative ways of detecting those releases, be it truck-based, aerial-based um, uh, platforms for uh, methane detection, even satellite-based. But, but here's the tricky part. Everything we've looked at can detect methane uh, to some degree. And, and it's not really a race to see who can find the smallest release. It's a race to who can detect and then quantify that release of emissions and quantification is everything it allows us to say is it uh is it large enough to uh to sorry the volume is necessary for us to put the proper engineering solutions in place to right size the engineering solutions and if it's a small release and and found with a camera well you can get close enough to quantify it with um uh existing equipment but to do this quickly and rapidly, we need to detect from a distance an aerial uh, sur uh, surveillance at 1,000 feet or 3,000 feet or 10,000 feet above the ground is, is our three examples of emerging technologies that can detect methane. The challenge becomes quantification. You're not clearly close enough to quantify with, um, with a handheld meter. We need to incorporate wind speed and direction into uh, the, the detection. As I say, all these technologies can measure in parts per million uh, methane. The trick now is to turn that part per million into a flux rate, what we call uh, cubic meters per day, it is uh, a unit of measure we typically use here. And, and that's the secret sauce of the emerging technology. Some companies have spent significant time uh, 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 perfecting this or, 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 or optimizing the, the, the methodologies. Others are just new at it, but it's important to be able to not only detect quickly, but then quantify the releases as well. And that, that is all that, that baseline information that's important, uh, to understand the profile emissions and understand where to focus control technologies. And there's, uh, many areas that we have a comprehensive understanding of control solutions that are and those solutions are are being funded through the offset system or the uh, MTIP methane technology uh, implementation plan that was announced on the 25th uh, as Gerald alluded to uh, these are uh, control um, pneumatic control technologies high bleed technologies we we typically refer to them as um, replaced with low bleed or zero emitting devices. Um, these are technologies we're aware of and are in the process of converting our uh, uh, the existing uh, inventory of uh, high, high venting devices to low venting devices. And uh, we're also working on innovative, innovative solutions for tank um, venting as well. As I, I said in my introduction, a well-designed oil gas separation and tank liquid storage tank system shouldn't vent the whole lot and it's and uh, or, or vent at all in fact uh, it's undersized oversized improperly sized equipment that could lead to venting we're, we're seeking to understand these designs we're seeking to understand um, 
aftermarket solutions um, uh, that can be quickly and cheaply installed in these in these plants to properly uh, control the venting um, from the tanks. And where we can't control, we're looking at new and improved combustion processes that will uh, readily capture low volume, intermittent volume, low pressure gases that traditionally have been very, very difficult to deal with. Uh, these new technologies can handle the, the low intermittent, low flow, low intermittent, uh, sorry, intermittent and, and low pressure gases as a um, as a ideal solution uh, for uh, for these vent sources. Uh, so in, in summary, it, it's um, it, it's a challenge a challenge ahead of us. Uh, a large number of facility, a larger number of releases. The difference, important difference between fuges and venting. Uh, and the detecting of the fuges and the vents, quantification of the fugitive events, uh, fugitive events rather, will allow us uh, cost-effective control. Uh, Jackson, I'm going to uh, pause there or, or stop there and um, and turn it back to you. Great, thanks a lot, Wayne. G great job, everybody. Really well put together presentations that that paint a, a solid picture about. Uh, the space that we're in right now and as both Wayne and Gerald mentioned you know there's a long history here around uh, emissions management and as well around methane it's clear now from Mel as well that that methane has global reach and you know we need to make sure that we're learning from from that wealth of experience over the years and that we're really moving the dial forward uh, not just as uh, an investment in emerging technologies, but an investment in the deployment of readily available technologies. And Larry addressed some of that through some of the initiatives that, that PTAC is working on. There's an opportunity here to, to improve essentially what, what everybody addressed is probably the primary issue. And that is the availability of high quality data how that gets used uh, in, in, in what avenues is that data used to determine investment uh, opportunities going forward, as well as to improve regulations and ultimately improve industry performance in this space. So the MMR, quote unquote, uh, acronym space, that, that is um, a common acronym here in Alberta, but um, measurement monitoring and reporting, is just so critical. There are multiple uh, uh, industry groups and governments and you name it, Angos, uh, the list goes on. There's data all over the place. What is the reliability of that data? What is the quantification methodologies of that data? What are the gaps? And there's a lot of work happening in silos, but there's also a lot of work happening in collaboration. So events like this and certainly many others that have uh, come around, certainly in the past six months to 12 months, uh, lend itself to an improved opportunity for information sharing and ultimately the more readily deployment of available technologies and continued investment in emerging technologies and mechanisms. So with that in mind, there's a question here that came up uh, through our chat and um uh, perhaps mel we can start with you it, it's a very difficult question to answer and we may we may as well ask gerald to chime in on this but um other than 
neither of you guys are allowed to use the word unknown. So good luck with that on this question. But um, the question is, what's the size of the global market and how much can Canada capture? What's the size of the prize? I, I guess you, could, you might have to make an assumption about size of the prize and what we're referring to here exactly. But can you comment on that a little bit and uh, fill in some gaps? Mel? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the question relates to the natural gas market, global market, uh, as opposed to specific to the methane issue. Is that correct? Let's run on that assumption. <laughs> All right. So, so okay. So, so globally, there are there, there's sort of two numbers that you've got to keep in mind. From the perspective of global demand for natural gas, we're about four, just over 4,000 BCM, uh, billion cubic uh, meters. Uh, that's sort of the size. Within that, there's the LNG market. And the LNG market is around 11, 12% of that, just to put that into context. And that's at around 350 uh, million tons of LNG a year. So that's the way it looks like. Um, and certainly it's that LNG space that I see Canada having uh, having a big opportunity uh, for. Uh, if everything goes well, uh, Canada is very well positioned, both from the perspective of, uh, as our government claims in the G20 circles, the cleanest natural gas in the world because of many of these things that we're talking about, the regulations on, on methane, the regulations around shale uh, production, uh, some of the, uh, the ideas behind uh, the LNG plant uh, out west um, uh, with respect to its carbon footprint. So, and then you've got the distance proximity to Asia. All those are very important strategic advantages of Canadian gas. Um, the problem is, as we've talked sometimes before, is that that regulatory construct in this country is troubling um, because it is complex. And although there's lots of money that's ready to flow into Canada, that is the single issue, at least from my perspective, and what I hear globally, that is preventing the investment dollars coming into Canada. It's the uncertainty over the, the, the regulatory uh, construct in this country, the stops and starts uh, and all of that. We have to get that behind us. Once we do that, the investment dollars will flow into Canada. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna sharpen my pen here and write that down. I think that that is very much, Mel, um, a significant issue that, that we hear a lot here in, in Canada. And uh, Gerald, I'm, I, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, of course, um, not to not to give us a solution to that, but to perhaps discuss, you know, uh, the other side of that coin is, you know, this has been a process. The regulatory development uh, here in Canada has been a process. It is a learn by doing in, in some cases, but being highly informed and educated uh, by tapping on uh, our, our system and uh, of stakeholders. So perhaps you want to, to provide a comment or two uh, that addresses that? You ask a difficult question that's almost impossible to answer, 
but I'm going to stick to the theme and continue on with uh, Mel giving kind of the macro global and I'll narrow it down once again to the provincial scale to sort of answer that question. Uh, when it comes to methane, and I'm going to narrow in on the methane market, what we think we know as far as the opportunity goes is an opportunity of roughly 32 million tons of CO2 equivalent of methane that, that can be reduced. And that's assuming we get it down to zero. We're talk, if we talk about what the opportunity is globally, the answer is nobody really knows because we're, we are a little bit further ahead, I believe, than many other jurisdictions in turn in terms of quantifying and, and reporting uh, these emissions specifically from the upstream oil and gas industry. And so uh, it's a difficult question to answer. We, we, we think we know we're doing better improving our, our knowledge base in terms of uh, quantifying and measuring and reporting emissions. And only then can we then take advantage of all of these opportunities that we discussed today in terms of innovation and alternative uh, technologies, et cetera. So, I think we're a little bit ahead and until other countries sort of catch up to, I think, Canada and Alberta's environmental performance, it's going to be very difficult to, to the, answer that question at relative scale. Thanks, Gerald. If, if, if I can jump in for a second, uh, I mean, the IEA's uh, estimate with respect to global uh, methane emissions, they put it somewhere between 70 to 90 uh, megatons of methane not CO2 equivalents of methane. Uh, so I don't know how that translates into the Canadian perspective, but that's what the IA currently views. But I agree, there are gaps in the data uh, which make the estimate very difficult. Well, and that's exactly it, Mel. I think uh, everyone's working towards that better understanding of, of data quality. And um, it, that lends itself directly to our next question that uh, we'll ask me and, and Larry to, to address. Uh, the question is, why can't we get past 90% reductions by 2030? Um, we may be able to reframe that question uh, into asking, can we uh, get past 90% reductions? But I think, uh, Wayne, we'll start with you. From your perspective, do you want to address uh, that particular question? Can we get past it or why can't we get past it, perhaps? Uh, you could do that. And then, Larry, from your perspective, of course, you know, what are the mechanisms that uh, PTAC is, is using to look at trying to be a part of that uh, solution? Uh, yeah, thanks, Jackson. Uh, the question being, can, can, we, or, uh, can we get beyond 90% reduction by 2030? Uh, well, I think the simple answer is, uh, yes, we can. It, it comes down to uh, cost it comes down to capacity and um, and options I, I I guess let me let me just say that that many companies are considering and building now what's known as a zero emitting well site so you design a facility with methane control in mind and that is a more cost effective approach to controlling methane. Uh, any and it's an absolute reasonable uh, expectation that companies have placed on themselves that future builds will uh, have zero emitting controllers and compressor seals uh, and tank vents tied into uh, the fuel gas system are just real um, simple 
solutions to routine venting of methane. So, and, but, and it goes, I think, without, I think without saying that it's, it's a lot easier and more cost-effective to do that in new builds than to retrofit existing facilities. So uh, the oil and gas sector in Alberta, um, or in Canada in general, is very well established. There's lots of legacy facilities in the province, and and uh, and and I think it's worthwhile to look at legacy or existing facilities differently than than new construction. But that sort of mix of retrofitting existing facilities and and a zero emitting uh, well site uh, of the future, I think. Uh, uh, should be optimized and determine how close we get to that 90% or, or do we indeed get beyond that 90% um, methane reduction off of baseline. Thanks, Wayne. Off to you, Larry. Sure. So I, I see in the International Energy Agency, they say it's $30 billion a year in methane that's lost to the environment that producers could sell. So that kind of gives you the worldwide uh, aspects. So Canada, we're maybe 1% of that. And that's one of the challenges that we have in Canada with reaching the 90% um, reduction. It can be done technologically. Economically, it's harder. And that's why we're trying to open up the door to Canadian technology providers so that they can work on the world problem, which has a lot more value. And then they can work and, and reduce worldwide methane emissions which is of more benefit to the world. And then they can bring those technologies back to Alberta where the price then will be cheaper because they're mass producing them and we'll be able to deploy them to get to that 90%. So I think there is a, and, and as Wayne said, new builds can certainly be designed so that there's no emissions going on in the first place. There's a lot of companies like 7Gen that's working on that and um, Whitecap, I believe as well, has some sites that are already zero emitting. So it's possible. Great, thanks, Larry. Well, we're we're at the end here. Um, we'll give maybe each of you a chance if there's uh, one or two comments that you want to make to close it off. We've got a couple minutes, and we'll go around the horn. Mel, Gerald, uh, Larry, and Wayne. If there's uh, one or two things you want to say about, you know, ag incenting action and continuing to move this file forward on methane mitigation today. Uh, just very quickly, great opportunity for the Canadian industry, great opportunity for the technology de developers. Uh, the issue is global, um, and it has to be addressed at a, at a global scale. And I think Canada is well positioned to take advantage of that. Just want to say thank you very much for the opportunity. And this conversation in itself, sort of highlights the unique culture that we have here in Canada and Alberta, and that we're having an open and honest conversation and we're sharing information and we're working together towards these higher level objectives. I think that is extremely powerful. Um, and I think that that is gonna continue uh, moving forward, whether it be on the compliance side, on the regulatory development side, or the publication side, uh, collaboration is key in moving towards those objectives. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jackson and Dale. This was uh, it's really good that you guys are putting this on. There's a, it's very important for people to understand the breadth and depth of what's going on in the industry to solve this problem. Um, the, the technologies have to be 
driven by market pull. The producers are the ones that are setting the agenda and they're the ones that are buying this equipment and installing it. So we need to have make sure that the, that the producers are the ones saying what needs to be developed and that the technology providers are providing that that those pieces of, of uh, technology to the industry. And then what's most important as well is that these technologies be deployed. We can't just be studying them and, and looking at them forever. We have to get them out in the field to actually make a difference. So thank you very much. Uh, that's all I have to say. Thanks, Jackson. Wayne? Uh, it's 12 o'clock. I'm going to get cut off, right? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thank you for the Canadian da Gas Dialogues, for the invitation, Jackson, for uh, moderating this panel. Uh, we have done a lot of good work to date, uh, but I think, as Gerald points out, most of the work is ahead of us. It is a large challenge. Uh, it's an important challenge. It will take money. It will take commitment. And we need to look at this with a sense of urgency, which I can uh, sit here today and, and, and say, this sector, this government has indeed a sense of urgency to meet this challenge. Thank you again for the opportunity. Thanks, Wayne. Uh, thanks, Mel. Thanks, Gerald. Thanks, Larry. I really appreciate it, you guys. Great session today. And thank you very much, Dale, for this opportunity and bringing folks together. Well, thank you, Jackson, for taking uh, time to moderate this discussion. Uh, just a note, we have made a note of some of the unanswered questions in our uh, Q&A box. We will uh, get those out to the panelists and get answers to the questions as soon as possible. I'd like to thank again Jackson, Gerald, Wayne, Larry, and Mel for taking some time out today to join us on this uh, increasingly important discussion on, on managing methane both at the, at the Alberta and Canadian scales and also globally. Uh, thanks very much and uh, a reminder to our viewers to join us please on Thursday, October 8th for our next session when we'll be looking at the uh, often contentious and always interesting First Nations questions surrounding resource development in Canada. Again, thanks very much and we'll see you next time.